Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, how are we? Good? Good. It is good to be back. Uh, this is your first time joining with us at one of our campuses or online. You picked a great weekend uh, because we are kicking off a brand new series of talks that we're calling Defining Jesus. Defining Jesus. You know, Jesus is just one of those figures in history that every single person has an opinion about. Uh, no one is opinionless when it comes to Jesus. You ask any person, family, friends, a person on the street, who do you think Jesus was? And they're all going to have an opinion. He was, he was a prophet. Or he started a movement to topple the political and the religious systems of his day. Or he was a teacher of, of love and of tolerance and of sacrifice. Or he was just a carpenter that people are making too big a deal about, right? Every single person has an opinion about Jesus. And the crazy thing is in our culture is that our culture is cool with Jesus. Our culture loves Jesus to a T, right? And they use him for all their different um, political affiliations or movements, all that sort of stuff. It's Christians that they have a problem with, which leads us to ask a question, why is that? Is, and they'll say it's because Christians get Jesus wrong. But as we'll see in a moment, back in Jesus' day, not everyone was cool with Jesus. He caused division all over the place. So could it be that it's not that every single Christian gets it wrong, but that our culture actually gets Jesus wrong? I think that could be the case. Uh, so we're going to dive into this. But in order to really understand who Jesus was, and maybe even is today, uh, we need to set aside the opinions of, of our friends and our coworkers. We need to go away from their thoughts, and we need to go straight to the source. Who did Jesus say that he was? And that changes things when you go to the source, doesn't it? Anybody ever been on a blind date? I haven't dated in like a decade, so I have no idea, but some of you have, yeah. So I have friends that have, and it always kind of plays out the same, right? He has a friend or she has a friend that also has a friend. And like, man, you would be perfect together. He's so handsome and he's got this great smile or she's got this amazing sense of humor. She's an animal lover or she's like an entrepreneur and your expectations are just built up so high. But then my friends, I don't know about you, they do what a lot of people do is when they get home, what they do, they Facebook stalk them, right? And so you track down their profile, and he's got like a picture of a truck for his profile. Like, that doesn't help. I don't, I don't know what he looks like. And all she has is group photos. And you're like, which one is she? I have no idea. And then you finally find a picture of the dude, and you're like, oh, he does have a cute smile behind all that Copenhagen, I'm sure, right? Or like, yeah, she's an animal lover. She has one, two, three, 72 different cats. Okay, I get that. And uh, I, here's the entrepreneur part. Like she makes these little slippers for little kittens. That's cute. How does she do that? Well, from the hairballs that the cats cough up. Okay, not good. And you're like, I'm out, right? SF uh, uh, single for a reason, right? And uh, when you go to the source, things are a little bit different. Well, uh, in the book of John, we get not one and not two, but seven instances of Jesus just proclaiming who he really is of Jesus telling us exactly who he is. There are seven times where he says, okay, you, you seem to be a little bit confused. Let me help you out here. Here is exactly who I am. If you're wondering, this is what I'm like, this is it. 
And these are known as the I am sayings of Jesus. If you go to the Gospel of John, it's arranged by three things, by these different festivals, which we're going to talk about next week, uh, by a handful of miracles, one of which we'll talk about today, and also these seven I am sayings of Jesus. And if you read it in the original language, it's kind of dorky, but they really stand out because there's two words in the Greek that mean I am. There's ago, everyone say ago, not ego, but ago, that means I am, and then a me, everyone say a me. It's a me, Mar. Yeah, a me. Um, and that means I am as well. And usually you use one or the other, a go or a me. But when Jesus says it, he puts them together. A go, a me. They're known as the a go, a me sayings of Jesus. I am, I am the light of the world, right? It's an emphatic way of saying that this is who I am to the core. This is the foundation of who I really am. And so over the next few weeks, we're just going to spend some time just, just being in the presence of Jesus just listening to him explain who he is. And it's going to be different than who our culture proclaims him to be. Um, but it's really cool when you sit under and you hear the voice of Jesus telling you who he really is, it changes who you are in response to that. So I'm excited just to linger in the book of John for a while. And uh, the first of these I am sayings, we're not going to go in order, um, but the first one we're going to study happens about midway through the book of John in John chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. And it's where we get two I am's back to back. Uh, one uh, you may have heard of, the other one that's pretty famous uh, that you probably have heard of is I am the good shepherd. The Good Shepherd. That's what we're going to talk about. But in order to really hear it in its context, in order to, to feel the force and the power that it originally had, we're going to have to get some context. So if you think back in the Old Testament, this term shepherd, it comes up a lot. Uh, the first time we're kind of introduced to this idea of shepherd, it's when God proclaims himself to be shepherd of his people. And we see this a lot. Probably the most famous occurrence is Psalm 23, right? Um, the Lord is my what? Shepherd, right? I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And over and over and over again, we see people praising God for his guidance and his protection and his provision and for the way that he leads his people. But that's actually a small number of occurrences of the word shepherd. The second biggest um, is when God is actually referring to the human leaders that he's placed over Israel. So he commands Moses to shepherd Israel through the wilderness. He says, David, when you're king, you're going to actually be my under-shepherd. You're going to shepherd um, Israel. And I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the best leaders and a lot of the best kings of Israel happen to spend years of their life as literal shepherds, right? But actually, the most number of usages we see uh, this term shepherd used is when God is actually calling out through the prophets the bad shepherds. It's when God is, is calling to the carpet the bad leaders of Israel, leaders that begin to use the sheep instead of care for them, begin to steal from the sheep instead of give or protect them, begin to lead these sheep away from God instead of towards God. And these are angry verses. Jeremiah 23 says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you've scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. So behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Or Jeremiah 50, my people have been lost sheep their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They've forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them. And what we see is that God just gets furious when his human leaders abuse their power 
in order to take from the sheep, in order to lead them astray. And that's actually the circumstance of Jesus speaking these words, which we'll see in a moment. But in every single instance of God calling out these false leaders, these these bogus shepherds, he always includes a promise, a promise that one day he himself would send a better shepherd, a truer shepherd. Ezekiel 34 is probably the the best instance of this. You should go back and read Ezekiel 34 after you hear this sermon because it's known as the shepherd passage uh, in that book. But he says this, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up over them one shepherd in the line of my servant David and he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd and I the Lord will be their God and one in the line of my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So this is what the Jewish people have been hoping for uh, in in the, the, the form of the Messiah. Well, fast forward to the book of John and once again, Israelites are being led by wicked, selfish, sinful, self-centered human leaders. And at this time, it's the Pharisees. And if you don't know much about the Pharisees, they'd taken, like, how many rules and regulations are in the Old Testament? Like, a lot, right? 600? I think that's enough. The Pharisees added, like, a thousand more. They had all these made-up rules and regulations, and they would use these rules and these regulations to control the people with fear to guilt them and to shame them and to manipulate them to get what they wanted, which was power and privilege and esteem and money. And Jesus has been running up against these people time and time again. It's just fight after fight after spat after spat in the book of John. And the Pharisees can't stand Jesus because he doesn't obey all their extra rules and regulations. And he tells other people that they don't have to either. And he doesn't bow down to the Pharisees and give them the respect that they think that they deserve. And crowds of people have started leaving the Pharisees and have started following Jesus. So they're losing their followers. They're losing their their clout, their popularity, and they hate him for it. And about chapter 10 in the book is where it's, it's, it's reaching its peak. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus said that famous line, before Abraham was, I am. And he uses the the high name of God for himself. He claims to be divine. They literally pick up rocks, the Pharisees do, and begin to hurl them at him, trying to murder him. So he slips out. And at the beginning of chapter 9, this is important. you got to understand the context. He goes into a town, and he comes in contact with a blind man that's begging. And he's been blind since birth. And the Pharisees have told this man the reason that he's been blind since birth is because of a sin that his parents did or a sinful act that he did. It's the oldest trick in the book, right? If you do that, God will make you blind. Look at this guy. So um, they've been shaming him his whole entire life. But when Jesus comes in contact with him, he has compassion. And he heals this man. And so the dude gets up and starts running around town and all of his friends and his neighbors and his parents are like, isn't that the dude that used to beg, the blind guy? We see him every single day. Dude, what happened to you? And he's like, Jesus, Jesus is what happened to me. Well, the Pharisees get furious at this and they say the reason that they're mad is because he healed on the Sabbath. But that's not it. The real reason they're afraid is because it stems from fear. No one had ever been healed from blindness because that's something only the Messiah could do. Never happens in the Old Testament. It's actually a messianic symbol. Isaiah 35 says, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And so they they think, we got to stop this. Are people going to think Jesus really is the Messiah? So they call the blind dude's parents in and say, Hey, 
you got to tell us that he wasn't blind from birth or that Jesus didn't heal him. They're like, I don't know, go ask him. So they try to manipulate them. Then they bring the blind dude and say, hey, can you tell all the people that you weren't blind from birth or that Jesus didn't really heal you? And he's like, "Uh, I would, but there's a problem. I was blind and Jesus healed me. Praise him. And so they actually kick him out of the synagogue. They remove him from fellowship. They publicly shame him. And then Jesus comes back on the scene in uh, chapter 9, verse 35. He says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him (laughs) with your new eyes. And it's he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, but those who see or proclaim to have spiritual wisdom or insight, they would actually become blind. Well, it just so happens that some of the Pharisees are near him, the ones that just tried to murder him. So there's a big group of them. They're like, are you calling us blind? And Jesus begins this very tense conversation. He said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say, we see We have spiritual insight. We know the way to God. Your guilt remains. And you can see people get out their cell phones like world star, like a fight's about to happen, right? And so the tension is set, and it's in this context to this group of Pharisees that Jesus speaks these famous words. So you could cut the tension with the knife. The Pharisees are expected to throw some bows. Like, should we get the octagon out? Like, this is going to be a throwdown, all right? They're looking for the rocks to, like, murder him again. And look at what he says. Most brutal burn ever. Not really. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And the Pharisees are like, what? <laughs> what kind of weird Jedi, like... Are you having a stroke? Like, why, why are you giving me a visual metaphor about sheep? And it's weird. It's like not what you expect. Um, and there's a reason for it. And Jesus is going to explain it to us in a moment. But for the moment, let's just stick with them, okay? And uh, you have to get this, this, this metaphor in your head. Back in those days, um, every single village or city or even small town would have a sheepfold. And it was right outside of town. It was just a fenced-in area where a shepherd who had been grazing his sheep for the past few days could kind of come into town and drop his sheep off so that he could go get a bite to eat and uh, get some dinner and, um, that, and sleep in a hotel. And that, it had a gate, and the gate was guarded by an armed guard, uh, guardsman, a gatekeeper. Um, and he would be um, required to protect the valuable sheep, which was the livelihood of the shepherd. So modern day, we don't really have anything like it, but just think like a parking garage and like downtown Raleigh, right? You go and you drop off your SUV or something and you got that little gate thing or maybe a security guard to kind of keep watch over it. Well, what if you were in downtown Raleigh and you looked up and you saw someone with a ski mask rappelling down the side and a crowbar in his hand? You're like, he's not going to pick up his SUV that he just parked, right? He's a thief. And so in in that time in Palestine, if you saw someone sneaking over the fence to the sheepfold, instead of going through the goat, you'd be like, well, they're going to steal some sheep. They're a robber. Well, Jesus continues, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, um, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Um, The sheepfold was just an open area. So there weren't these separate compartments for different flocks. So how in the world do you keep your flock separated from the other one? 
How do you make sure they don't intermingle? Well, you don't because you don't need to. Because the shepherd has a very close relationship with every single one of his sheep. He, were there, he was there when, when they were born. They know his voice. They've learned how to interpret the words. This is when he wants me to lay down and stand up. And this is where food is. And this is where water is. And this is when I can sleep. Or this is when there's danger and I need to move closely. And so um, when the shepherd wanted his sheep back, he would just stand at the door and say, Hey, hey, three hoofs. Hey, how brown ear. Hey, spotty. Hey, stinky. And the sheep would hear their name, and they would go out and follow the shepherd. And they'd go back out into the wilderness um, in order to pasture. He says this, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Unlike western shepherds, um, uh, who tend to drive their sheep from behind, they got dogs or they use loud noises to try to motivate their sheep with fear, eastern shepherds lead from the front. And they invite the sheep to join them because they can be trusted. They, they promise to protect and provide. So you would see shepherds leading their sheep in the wilderness to pasture, watching over them as they ate. And then at night, they would sleep out with their sheep. They would make kind of a portable sheepfold with rocks and with limbs and with thorns with one little gate, just a smaller version of the, the city sheepfold. And there, the shepherd would sit all night long and watch over the sheep until it was time to go. And he'd tear down the sheepfold, and then he'd take them back to the city. He says this, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice um, of strangers. And the word picture in. So you got it in your head? There's the sheepfold, there's the gate, there's the gatekeeper, there's the, the flock, there's the sheep, the individual ones, there's the thief, there's the robbers, there's the shepherd. And so Jesus kind of stops and just steps back. And the Pharisees are like, uh... <laughs> It says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Hey, thanks for explaining to us the intricacies of animal husbandry, but what does this have to do with us, Pharisees, the leaders, and this dude that you just healed? And he's like, oh, well, everything. He says this in verse 7. It's our very first I am. It says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, ago, me." I am, I am the door of the sheep. That's our first I am. I'm the gate or I'm the door. I'm the thing that the sheep have to go into or through or inside of in order to, to, to belong to the flock of my father, to the kingdom of God. And he's making a very, very exclusive claim here. I am the only way into the flock of my father. In context, what he's really saying is, Pharisees, he does not have to go through you to get to God. No one has to get your approval. They don't have to jump through all your, these hoops of this new religious system that you've built over the past few hundred years. No, no, no. I'm the one they have to go into. I'm the one they have to abide in. I'm the one they have to pass through, and I'll welcome them. And not only do they not have to go through you, but they don't have to go through anyone or anything else. Just like there's just one gate in that sheepfold, there's one way into my father's flock. No religious leader. No religion, no man-made scheme can offer the protection and the provision and the life that I offer. All of the things that God offers are only found in and through me. And then he begins to turn the heat up a little bit. In verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to him. And he's referring to all the human leaders throughout history. All the kings, all the judges, all the priests and the high priests, all the way up to the present day, at some point, even the good ones failed the sheep. 
They were bad shepherds at one point. They all hurt the sheep at one point. They all put themselves before the sheep at one point or another, and that includes the Pharisees here. But Jesus is saying that not everyone had been deluded or fall into the cons of these bogus shepherds like this dude right here. There's still guys like this blind guy that will hear my voice and follow me over following you. He says, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And then he turns the heat up to like 500 degrees. And these are fighting words, but he says this, the thief comes only to steal, steal and to kill and destroy. And he's looking right at the Pharisees when he says this. He's not talking about Satan. He'll bring up a wolf later. He's talking about the bogus human leaders. And he's saying, no, no. <laughs> you, the only reason that you're leading is because you want to steal from people or you want to kill people. You want to destroy people. And these are themes that you see all throughout the Old and New Testament. Isaiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 2, the false shepherds, the bad leaders, God says, you're just thieves. You're just thieves. You're stealing from them and you're not upholding the cause of the widows and the orphans. Or you remember when Jesus flipped over the tables in the, the temple? Remember why he did that? It's because the Pharisees had put all these like mall kiosks, like sunglass, sunglass hut and stuff, like Andy's pretzels, right? And they were in the court of the Gentiles, which is the place that people who weren't Jews could come to the temple to learn about God so that they could follow him. And they had pushed them out. And they were selling all these animals that they had to buy for a sacrifice. So the birds and the goats and the sheep. But they were charging like 200, 250% increase. And they were charging them in a currency that not a lot of people owned. And they're like, that's okay. Because we got kiosk where you can exchange it for this currency uh, and a huge price. And you remember what Jesus said when he flipped those tables over? My father's house is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into what? A den of thieves, right? They were preying on the ones they're supposed to protect. They're using the ones that they were supposed to lead. Part of the reason that Jesus brings his disciples' attention to that widow that gave her very last penny, the widow's might, part of it was to point out her obedience and her faithfulness, yes, but partly, Jesus was expressing his disgust at a religious system that would rather take the very last cent of a widow instead of providing for her and giving her what she needs. They're thieves. And not only were they thieves, but they were killers as well. And you can see this theme all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, it's one of Jesus' favorite terms for the Pharisees. You're the ones who kill the prophets. Every prophet Every new shepherd, my father sends, you kill. And you can read about it. Isaiah, they sought him in half. Jeremiah, he was stoned to death. Zechariah, they killed. John the Baptist, the most recent, they killed. And over and over and over, he says to them, you just kill every single person that God sends to you to get you to repent. And I'm the new one, and I know you're going to try to kill me. But you're not going to kill me. I'm going to lay down my life. He's going to say that later. And not only do they kill, they actually destroy as well. The, the word destroy literally means to cause to be lost. They had just kicked this dude out of the synagogue for believing so that he wouldn't influence other people to worship Jesus. They're literally putting roadblocks up or stopping people from accepting Jesus as their Savior. And Jesus is saying, I see through it all. You thieves. You're just here to steal and to kill and destroy. And God's precious children, sheep that are in his flock, have fallen under their power. And part of why Jesus came was to rescue them from it. 
So he says, in contrast, verse 10, I have come not to steal, not to kill, not to destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he gives the I am saying in verse 11, I am a go, a me, the what? I am the good shepherd. What makes him good? Well, it's because the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming. Here's a new character. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches some up and he scatters all the rest. And he flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So there's this new character, the wolf. And Jesus is saying the reason that he is good, the reason he's better than any human leader, unlike the hired hands who are just in it for themselves, who run the moment that they see danger, not Jesus. He's willing to go head to head with the wolf. He's willing to do anything so that the wolf can't harm the sheep, even lay down his life. So we have to ask, well, what, what is this wolf? Who or what does this wolf symbolize? And commentators are kind of split, but there's kind of a consensus. It can't be everything that threatens to harm the sheep. The wolf can't symbolize every single thing that threatens to harm Christians. And why do you say that? Well, because Christians still get cancer. Christians still lose their job. Right? Christians still die in car wrecks. And Jesus never promises to protect us from every form of danger, but he does promise to protect us from one. And it's this wolf. The ultimate enemy, the only enemy that can really truly harm, it's sin and it's death. It's that power that can cause us to be eternally separated from God. And Jesus says when it comes to him, uh, 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 they don't touch my sheep. I'm going to lay my life down. And it's this beautiful picture that Jesus is giving us. He allows anyone to enter into the sheepfold. He calls you by name. He leads you. He goes before you. And even when there's danger around he builds that portable sheepfold around you, right, and stands at the gate and protects you even then. Listen, if Christ is your shepherd, if you're in him, and listen, no matter what happens, you can know that he goes before you into it, right? You go into suffering, he's been there before, and he's with you in the midst of it. You go into someone taking advantage of you, he's been there before, and he's with you in the midst of it. You go into death, He's been there before, and he's with you in the midst of it, and when you open your eyes, he's there with you on the other side of it. If you're, um, he goes before, he's all around you, right? He stands between you and the only thing that can ever truly harm you. It's death and separation from him, the wolf. And on that old wooden cross, 2,000 years ago, he laid down his life, and he defeated death and sin. And when he arose, he disarmed and removed all of its power. And right now, he stands guard over your very soul. And he just promised in this passage, the wolf can never, ever get to you. It's a disarmed wolf. It's like a wolf with no teeth and no claws, right? It can howl, and it can bark, and it can try to scare you, but it can't do anything. And this is something that the Pharisees were proclaiming that they could provide. If you obey our rules and follow our system and bow down to us, we'll show you the way to God. And Jesus is like, you're bluffing. You're lying. I'm the only one that can do that. And then he says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold that aren't Jewish. That's you and me. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He knows the Pharisees are plotting to murder him. He wants to make sure they know this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And he's done. It says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? But others said, these are, not the ones, uh, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Can a demon be the Messiah? And the crowd disperses and the Pharisees walk away more angry than they ever have been. But there are some that are like that blind man that maybe heard the voice of their shepherd for the very first time and took a step or two towards him because he's the gate and he's the good shepherd. So what do we do with this? Because there's no list of commands, is there? You see any of that? There's no list of things to do or not do. So how do we respond? Well, as I've been praying through it, I think at the very least, there's one warning and there's one invitation. And I'll go through these and we'll be done. But here's the warning first. Um, beware the thieves and the robbers. Beware blind leaders and bogus shepherds. And this is something we don't talk enough about at church. And it's a very hard lesson that Christians, every single Christian has to learn that the church, the flock, is not just in danger from the outside but it's in danger from the inside as well. Um, there are still people like this, church members and church leaders, and you just have to know that. And it's really hard to spot them at first. But you spend 20 years in the ministry like I have, and they get easier and easier to spot. And they're hard to spot because they look like the sheep. And they talk like the sheep, and that's the point. But when you get close to them, kind of smell like a wolf, right? And some are more dangerous than others. Some are pretty harmless. Probably once or twice a year we'll get a call from a dude that's like newly single and he's like, I really want to get plugged into the church. We're like, awesome. Like we have small groups you want to get involved in one. Yeah. Well, what were you thinking? You're like, I don't know. Like maybe one that meets on a Friday night that's made for like single women and we're like, hang up. No, go away. All right. Get out of here. So we have that. But there's some that are way more dangerous. There's some that can really talk the talk. And some are given leadership positions and volunteer spots. Some are even given positions on church staff or as pastors. And they look all smooth and humble from the outside. But they still are out to steal and to kill and destroy. You can tell they're a wolf because they're just in it for what they can get and not what they can give. They're always taking and never sacrificing. They're in it for the money or the nice lifestyle or for the acclaim or the applause or the likes on social media, or the adoration. And they kill prophets as well. They surround themselves with yes-men, with people that just agree with them and won't ever bring up faults or call them to the carpet. They don't want any honest prophets around them. They'll send them away, and they will lead people astray from following Jesus, whether it's from speaking just outright lies, which is common nowadays, or by talking the talk but not walking the walk. And we see this all over the U.S. 
by failing morally to such an extent that people that have put them on a pedestal will say, man, if Jesus wasn't real to them, is Jesus really real at all? And Jesus in this passage is, is just warning us they exist. They're still here. You got to watch out. And I can read the room. This is probably stirring some stuff in your heart right now. Maybe you've been affected by someone like this. And so what, what do we do with this? Well, I, three things. One, I would say you got to learn the voice of the true shepherd. And you got to learn to discern this from every other voice that is out there. And if you're trying to figure out what's a counterfeit bill or not, people that are trained in that, they just look at real $1 bills all the time, right? Because they're so familiar with the real thing that something's 99% there, but 1% off, you can just spot it. So you got to spend time in this listening to the voice. And you also got to know that, that, that these people exist. And I don't know why. Jesus tells a parable one time. He says, the kingdom of God is like a farmer that plants a field of wheat. And then the servants notice, hey, there's, there's tares in there. There's wheat. There's weeds. You want me to, to cut that down? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Just let it keep growing. The wheat along with the tares. And when it comes time for harvest, we'll figure it out. I do not know why God allows these people to infiltrate the church and doesn't give us the wisdom to spot them earlier, but that's just the way it is. And he's going to sort it out eventually. But lastly, I would say, man, just be on your guard and warn the other sheep. Keep us accountable. If you see these, these personalities or these, these things of, of stealing, of in it for ourselves, or of, of pushing out the honest prophets, or of keeping people from following Jesus, come tell us. Tell the elders, keep us accountable, but, but be warned, right? They're still around. So that's the warning. But here's the invitation. To rest in the care of the shepherd. Maybe it's not Pharisees or maybe it's not false teachers that are using fear to motivate you and drive you from behind. Maybe it's the rat race at work or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's an addiction or maybe it's the, the amount of, of money in your bank account. And Jesus' amazing invitation is, those are bad leaders. They're bad shepherds, but I'm a good one. You can come rest in me. Right? I just think there's a time to do. There's a time to accomplish. Like in the Christian life, there's seasons where we just need to take this hill for Jesus. But as we see in these verses, there's also just a time to lay down and to just gently, trustingly follow. To just get up in the lap of the shepherd and just be fed to just hear you call you by name. He knows you intimately, like he knows the Father. He knows all of your fears, all of your flaws, all the way you failed as a parent, all your regrets in the past, that sin that you just can't quite beat. And just, just see him look you in your little sheepy eyes and say, I know that. And not only would I lay down my life for you, I have, but right here, right now, as you are, I would do it again because I love you and I'm here to provide and protect and you can rest in that love. I think we just worry about so much, don't we? I just toss and turn about jobs, about kids, about politics. Good Lord, that's coming in the next year and a half. About world events, about finances. You know what sheep don't do a lot of? They don't worry. <laughs> I read this week that sheep that are about to, they're ready to be sheared of wool. They're really heavy, the wool. And if one of these sheep falls over in the pasture, they can't get up. They'll die. And if they roll over on their back, the blood will rush to their head in a few days and they'll die as well. And you actually have to go intentionally hunt down these sheep. You know why? Because they don't make a noise. <laughs> they don't bleat. They don't moan. 
They don't get their friends to help. They don't fiercely try to change themselves. Instead, they just kind of eat the grass around their head. And then they just chill because they're like, eh, shepherd's got it, right? When everything in life is going crazy and you got stress coming out of your ears, it's just good to be reminded, just to say to your soul, you know what? I bet the shepherd has it. He's already provided my most important need, protection from the wolf. When it comes to all these little things, I think he's got it too, right? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's given in love and that it's true. Father, forgive us for following after other voices and other shepherds. Father, I pray that you would keep at least this flock, Hope Community Church, free of the thieves and the robbers. Would you put just a hedge of protection around us? Father, may we tonight just, just intentionally rest in you. We walk away from all the other shepherds, leaders that are trying to use fear to goad us on. Father, we just get in your lap and snuggle up and just rest in your protection, your provision. Spirit, would you do this? Would you use the word to change our lives? And it's in the good shepherd's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.